Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. What a great day, folks. This is an exciting day because we have our Portico Streetsville, Portico Milton, Portico Spaniel, Portico Online, and Portico Brampton. And so, hey, the big cheer in the room, that's what we want to do all the time, is very, very excited about that. And thank you to everybody that's making this possible. So as we mentioned, get your Bible out, get your apps out, and uh, we're going to jump in. So as you know, it's September, right? Everybody's good? You enjoying the weekend weather? Anybody find it too hot? All right, I was hoping you would say that. Some of you are wiping your heads right now going, oh, just, you know, 29 feels like 39. I don't know if I can endure this anymore. A family member of mine, Facebook this morning, sent me a little note from Jasper, Alberta. You know where Jasper is? Jasper, Alberta. Weather report. Today, four degrees. Feels like two degrees. That's even better. Feels like goes down here. Feels like goes up. So just, you know, if you're complaining this weekend, just soak it all in because it is. Winter's coming. It's on its way. And we always pay for it at some point. All right, well, get your notes out. We want to talk together, and I've called this a mission-driven church, but I actually just want to have a family talk and remind us of why we do what we do. Because when we gather together as a church community, there's so much going on. We're getting ready for an incredible fall season, and we're very excited about it. But the, the Brampton launch has raised some questions. And I get this periodically. I have people ask me, they go, you know, Doug, why are you doing that? Like, why are you adding a third service? And why are you launching another campus? And why are you taking the time to expend leadership resources and do training development and release people into this? you got a healthy, growing, vibrant church. Why not just enjoy it? Hit the cruise control. And basically, that's the question that's in the background is, why not just relax and enjoy what you have? Why do you need to do this? And so underneath it all, the real question is, what is it that drives the church to do all that it is? And you know that when I'm talking with leaders, they're not asking about me. They're asking about us as a community. What, what compels Portico to move forward? And I got thinking about that question. And I realized there's something that we know, but we need to talk about so that we are fundamentally clear on the truth of why we do what we do. And if you're relatively new to the church, you'll understand our culture a little bit better. And if you're part of our journey, you've been with us for a little bit longer, you'll go, this is what we're all about here. And we are passionately focused and committed to this. So go over to Acts chapter 11. I'm going to read out of there in just a moment for you. Now, we know that Jesus, when he came, he brought two powerful declarations. I spoke a lot, did a lot of miracles. There's a lot of great truth there. But in my world, there are two powerful declarations. One is when he came and he implanted this compelling vision when he said, I will build my church. And we know that, and we repeat that, and we talk about that, but we often view that in its past context, that Jesus came, he lived his life, he suffered, he died, he was resurrected, he ascended into heaven, and he did what he said he came to do. He said, I'm going to build my church, and it's all good. So we have this incredible vision that, you know, he implanted in the hearts of his followers, 
But it didn't stop there. He also imparted a very compelling mission. And he goes, now I want you to go, and if you, Matthew chapter 28, if you're taking notes, you'll know this, those of you that are familiar with the Bible, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And he said, I want you to go, and I want you to make disciples. And I want you to go to Jerusalem, I want you to go to Judea, I want you to go to Samaria, and I want you to go to where? What's the last place? Ends of the earth. He goes, wherever you go, make disciples. That's your mandate. That's your mission. So when he ascended into heaven, we know that that didn't end. That was what he left his disciples to do. Now, here's what's fascinating. When you pick up the Bible, and if you're new to the Bible, you have the gospel records, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and that's about the life of Jesus. Then he hit the book of Acts, and the book of Acts are really empowered by the Spirit. What did the church begin to do? So you're reading the book of Acts when Jesus says, my spirit is coming to empower and equip you. The spirit comes on the church. And then we start to see over the book of Acts all the things that the church was able to do. But here's what I would draw your attention to. Jesus said to his disciples, go and make disciples. Go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We're going to read from Acts chapter 11. But scholars and teachers go back and they look at the book of Acts and they say, when you read it carefully from chapter 1 and you start your work your way through, here's what you begin to discover. That as humans, we have this ability to cluster and group, and we like to stay in safe huddles. We like to be with people that we know. We like to travel. And nothing wrong with that. We're in relationship together. And, they said, and it was beginning to happen to the church. So as Jesus ascended, you remember the angel was there and said, Men, why are you standing here looking around? You got a job to do. Go do your job. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He gave us a mandate. And you get into the first couple of chapters in the book of Acts, and it seems that the church was hanging around primarily Jerusalem. Some had gone back to Judea. But for the most part, they were hanging around the temple. In John chapter 4, or Acts chapter 4, there's some good things that came out of that. So we see some miracles and we see some birth and emergence of the church in its power. But no one really moved too far away. And then you start to read about the persecution, the stoning of Stephen, and a, a young man by the name of Saul watching and watching over the garments of the people that were stoning Stephen, and he was a zealot for the law. He was protecting Judaism at its purest, and, and he was going out as an activist and a socialist. He was going out to take and make sure that they could eradicate these followers of Jesus. And so under the authority of the temple leadership, he was, he was out. He was going to recruit anybody who said they were a Jesus follower and have them at least imprisoned, if not flogged. He wanted to shut down everything that was taking place with this church. But you have the stoning of Stephen, and then the Bible tells us this incredible thing takes place that suddenly the church in persecution begins to move out. They could no longer, they were no longer safe in Jerusalem. And here's what we start to notice, that when we don't engage in the mission that God gives us, God finds a way for us to get back in the mission. And often persecution is one of the ways that re-energizes and refocuses the church. And while we pray for those that are persecuted and we look for ways for persecution to be mitigated, we also recognize persecution forges the depth of our faith to a level that we need to trust God no matter what the circumstance and what the situation and we see the church begin to operate this way. So I say all of that, and you're going, what does that have to do with Portico? Well, I never want us to forget who we are. We are His church. We don't do church. Church wasn't 10-10 today. 
It wasn't 840, it wasn't 1140, it wasn't Wednesday night, it wasn't Friday night. Church is not a, a calendar event that you pull a bulletin out and you look out on your app and you go, well, that's the time when the church meets. We, we don't do church, we are the church. You know this, right? That means as followers of Jesus, while we get together for activities where we mutually encourage and edify and build and we grow together, we can never lose the identity of who we're called to be. And I, I worry about this a little bit when I look at our Western civilization because we have so segmented our worlds that we've made church into a Sunday experience or some type of weekend experience, forgetting that who you are as a follower of Jesus is the fulfillment of the mission for which Jesus came. He came so that you would be His church. So when we get together, we're part of the big C church, the, the global expression of his body. This, everybody's following me right now, right? We get this? So 24-7, we're his church. That means you can never get away from the mission that Jesus has given you. That means when you're at home and your kids are like fighting you this week over school and going to bed and everything, and you're pulling your hair out, and you're going, just go to your bedroom. You're the church in that moment. Maybe not its best expression, but you're the church in that moment. And when you're in your growth groups or you're at work and your boss is frustrating you and you just want to tell your boss what you think of them, just remember, you're the church. Because what we do is we separate it and we view this and it actually weakens who we are. So I want us to be reminded again that at Portico, we are His church in everything that we do. And so when people ask me the question, why are you launching new campuses? We have no option. We have no other option. We're partnering in church plants, and we're helping other churches grow. We're supporting international and global missions. But as we grow, we realize as long as there's people who do not know Jesus Christ, we have a mandate to fulfill because people need to find their way back to God, and we are always going to be committed to doing that. So what does a mission-driven church look like? If God has to stir up a little bit of persecution to get it going, what does it really look like? Well, get your Bibles out. Let's go over to Acts chapter 11, and let me share a couple of things with you. Here, at the essence of what the church is, are three expressions that we use at Portico. And everybody goes, well, is that you know, novel for Portico? No, I want you to see that this is first century truth that we've adopted in language that we understand today. But the three expressions of what a mission-driven church looks like are found in here. If you're taking notes, you can just write this down. When I look at the church of Antioch, the very first thing I want you to write down is this was a church that knew what it was to connect with Christ and His family. So they understood, as followers of Christ, this was a non-negotiable, that we need to connect with Christ. We need to connect with His family no matter where we are. Look at Acts 11, 19 to 21. It says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution, so there's the backdrop, Jerusalem persecuted and sent out. Those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and they began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and they turned to the Lord. When God allowed persecution to touch his church, 
There were those that would have immediately began to pray, and nothing wrong with that, praying about the force of the persecution that was there. And there were others that realized that persecution becomes a new opportunity, and we see that they begin to move out from where they were in their safety zones, and they find new locales. But when they get to their new locales, no matter where they went, whether they went to the synagogue, whether they went to the marketplace, or whether they went to the neighborhood, Jesus was the only thing they wanted to talk about. Anybody they met, they wanted, to know, they wanted them to know who Jesus was. Jesus had so radically changed their life, this grace, this forgiveness of sins, this new life that they have, this new hope that they have, they weren't so devoted and attached to all of the things in their world that they did not understand their focus and their priority that Christ had given them. That's why when Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, they got it. They understood what it looked like for Christ to build His church, and they wanted to make sure that they were part of that mission. And the same has to hold true for us, that no matter what we do, that we understand that we are followers of Jesus, and we are passionately committed to helping other people find their way back to God. See, before I come to faith, everything in the church was about me. After I come to faith, everything in the church is about other people who have yet to come to faith. And if we can keep that in our understanding, our focus, it really helps us so that we realize no matter where we go, we help people connect and we connect them to Christ. Because the greatest gift that we can leave people, it's not going to be my inheritance, ask my kids. It's not going to be any of the little trinkets that I have at my house. None of that's going to matter at the end of the day. It's going to whether or not they had a faith legacy. Did I give them something that would outlast everything else in this world? And that's what faith does. Now, here's what I want to say. Thank you to Portico. If you're watching online, thank you for being a part of our online community. We're connected to people around the world right now that are listening in. We are not just doing church today. We're being His church. We're coming together to worship and celebrate. And that's what we just did in our worship time. But as we launch in and we support brand new campuses, and whether it's something like an online expression or whether it's the Brampton campus launch, you're changing people's lives that being a part of our community, and maybe you haven't thought about this, by being part of our community, by giving, supporting, being generous, praying, you're changing people's lives. In 2011, we launched Portico Milton. And when we started that whole venture, we thought, well, what's this going to look like and how are we going to do it? But we ventured out together, and Portico Milton was the beginning of a brand new expression for us to help people find their way back to God in a community that we don't have direct involvement in. And so we sent a team of people. They began to reach out. And you know the good news about this? People began to respond. Two weeks ago, I had a chance to go out with Pastor Amitab. We jumped in the car. Well, you were all in here worshiping. 1010, we got in the car. We drove out to Milton. And I walked in unannounced to the back, and it was beautiful. People with their hands raised, worshiping Jesus and watching and looking at that room full of people. And I thought, God, this is beautiful. This was only a dream of what this could look like, and here it's now a reality. So tangibly, I wanted to share something with you. And so I said to Pastor Daniel and Rachel, they're out there, I said, I need the video of Judy, because he was telling me a little story about Judy who came to Jesus. So because of our passion to be a mission-driven church, I want you to meet somebody that you helped introduced to Jesus Christ. Watch the screen. Hey everybody, this is Judy. She's a part of our Portico Milton campus. Uh, she just recently gave her life to Jesus. She's now attending one of our growth groups and is wanting to be a part of the prayer team. So I just wanted to introduce you to Judy and all that she's doing here at Portico Milton. 
Isn't that great? I love the look. Yeah, give a big hand. I love the look of Judy. Judy's looking at that phone going like, what are you doing to me right now? She was a little shy. We asked her, you know, would you speak? And she goes, no, I'll just look at the camera. And so I said, Daniel, just get your arm out there. Get her on the camera. We want to know who Judy is. Judy is now a follower of Jesus. Judy was living in a senior's home next to the, where we have our campus in Milton. Our campus decided part of our serve was to reach out and help serve meals over there. And they began to share the love of Jesus. And people said, well, why are you guys here? We're only here because we love Jesus and we want to serve you. Well, where do you meet? We meet right over there. Can we come to there? Yes, you can. And people have been coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And so I wanted you to see Judy this morning because that's just one of many stories that's taking place in Milton. And you may never be in Milton, but because of what we're doing, we are being his church. So whenever whenever he asks you, why do you do what you do? Well, just tell him, we don't do church. We are his church. So everything that we align ourselves around is figuring out how are we helping people find their way back to God. In fact, one of the greatest things that we do here at the church is Alpha. And again, Alpha is not a program. Alpha is an opportunity for people who are not quite sure about faith. So you're having these faith conversations. They're not quite sure about faith. It's a safe place to come in and ask questions and find answers. I was on the phone uh, just a few weeks back with one of our campus pastors serving at a university. And we were talking together, and one of the things that he raised for me, which was, was sort of intriguing, he said, Doug, do you realize that something that we've been told over and over and over is actually not fundamentally true anymore? That in Canada today, we've heard the statistics that people don't want to have faith conversations. He said, but that's actually not true. He said, people want to have them, they don't want to start them. He said, people will talk to you about faith if you'll ask them. They're just not open to asking the question. But if you ask the question, they'll talk to you. And he said, in fact, the younger generations are desperate to understand faith, not just Jesus, faith in general. I said, well, explain that. And he goes, well, I was in a meeting. 200 people were in the room. And he said, so I was invited to come in and the facilitator was at the front of the room. And the facilitator asked a simple question. Is there anybody in here that would say that they have a personal faith experience or they're a person of faith. And so he was thinking, well, sure, there's got to be a lot of people in the room. And so he quickly raised his hand, and then he goes, all of a sudden I realized mine is the only hand that's raised in 200 people. And he goes, so I was committed. I was there. And he goes, I had my hand up, and they, did a, uh, they broke us out into small sessions. And he said, in my breakout session, the table that I was with were millennials, all different age ranges, but he said a lot of millennials were sitting at the table. And he goes, and as we began to talk, he said, they were all looking at me. And one of them finally just said, can you explain that? And he said, explain what? He said, how did you become a person of faith? How how did you find faith? And he goes, like my personal faith. He said, well, my, my parents talked to me about faith. And my parents enabled me to go to church. And he said, they were, they were like wide-eyed and just drinking this whole thing. And they go, but then what did you do next? And he said, the whole thing. We weren't even discussing anything we were supposed to be talking about. The whole conversation was, help us understand how is it that you became a person of faith? What steps were involved and what do we need to do? And he said, and it just changed my view. He said, I began to realize there is a hunger for spiritual reality 
And he goes, we are having these powerful conversations. And Alpha is one of the ways in which we as a church community enable people to go, listen, come and join us. And if you're here today, we're thrilled you're here. And you might not even be a follower of Jesus. And you're going like, whoa, what did I just get myself into? Well, come and join us at Alpha. Understand who Jesus is. Because we're not simply a church group that gets together to talk about non-practical life skills. We are a movement of people that believe that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the hope of all humanity and that he forgave our sins. And so we want to explain that to you. Here's a little video I want you to see. This is somebody that's part of our church community right here. And they went through Alpha. Listen to the story. Hi, let me introduce you to Lori. Lori tracked with us in Alpha last year, and she just had an incredible story about what Alpha did for her own spiritual journey. So, Laura, why don't you just share maybe the highlight of how you would describe your spiritual journey from before you started Alpha until what it is right now, now that you've completed it. Sure. Uh, so I joined Alpha because I had lots of questions, uh, not only about Portico, but my spiritual journey and religion in general. And it seemed like it was an inviting group, so I came in. I got so much out of it that I volunteered to come back and help. And I got a lot of questions answered, but I also have more questions. So I think this next bit will be interesting to see how I can get that answered. Yeah. Actually, Lori is going to be helping us out with our new season of Alpha. And it's just a great place where people can come and ask safe questions about life, faith, and God. So that's great. That's Lori. And if you caught the story carefully, I had questions about Portico. Always questions about Portico. And then I had questions about faith. And I thought, well, what a great place to go and get some answers to those questions. And so she did. And now she's going back to serve into that. Here's what I want you to know. We're providing Alpha again this fall. And Alpha isn't just for people who are trying to find answers. Alpha is for you, for your friends, that you can invite your friend to come with you to Alpha. And so don't just come. If you're a follower of Jesus, don't go to Alpha just so you can learn more about Alpha. Alpha is for you to bring your friends. so You can introduce them to Jesus and let them find answers to the questions that they have and watch them begin to connect with Christ. It's an amazing experience. We want you to be a part of that. So you see this church in Antioch, they understood immediately that connecting with Christ and his family, that was just part of being a mission-driven church. The second thing that I see in the book of Acts chapter 11 is this is they understood, they understood what it meant to grow together in Christ-likeness. That growth was essential as a follower of Christ. That to choose to follow Jesus, to make a decision for Jesus is not enough. To be a disciple and to grow is essential to becoming strong spiritually and mature in our faith. Many people say yes to Jesus, but not everybody chooses to grow in Jesus. And there's a difference between the two. And if we want to be strong in our faith and be resilient in our faith, we have to choose how to grow. Here's what it says. Look at Acts chapter 11, verse 22. It says, the news of this, this is now the church that is growing in Antioch, news of this church reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch, and when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And he was a good man, full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Well, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met together with the church and taught great numbers of people, and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now, this is a fantastic text, because what I'm pointing out for you is that mission-driven churches understand that they need to grow in Christ-likeness, but I love what this tells us. 
that Barnabas gets there from Jerusalem, and he realizes this brand new church, new people are coming in all the time, every week, brand new people being added to the church. And so he begins to encourage and to teach and to equip them and to train them so they understand what their faith is all about. Who is Jesus? How does this relate to me? What does it mean to have my sins forgiven? What does it mean to have the opportunity to be filled with the Spirit and walk in the power of the Spirit? So he's teaching them, and he realizes, I can't do this on my own. I need some help. So he goes to the church board. Now picture this. He goes to the church board one day and he goes, ladies and gentlemen, I got a great candidate for you. I've done my research and I want you to look at the resume of the man that I want to bring on our staff. And the board's looking at the resume of this individual and they see the name Saul of Tarsus. And they stop and they look at Barnabas and go, you got the right name? And they go, yeah, that's the guy that I want. And they go, you know who this guy is, right? Now, if you're new to the Bible, Saul was the man who stood by and watched them stone Stephen. He didn't like the church. Saul was the one who asked permission from the temple leadership that he could go out and persecute the church. So the elders are looking at Barnabas going, are you sure you want us to hire Saul? Just Like, why don't we go with Peter? He's a little impulsive, but he's a nice guy. What about James and John? You know, they're a little hot-headed. You know, temper's okay. We can handle them. They hung around Jesus. But Saul... And he goes, no, we need to have Saul here. Why did he want Saul? Because Saul had been raised, and we begin to learn something about not only had God set Saul apart for the purpose, but Saul had been thoroughly trained as a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was grounded in the ways of Judaism. He understood the Old Testament covenant better than anybody. And to bring him in now that he was fully transformed by the grace of God, you have all of that experience, that wisdom, and that knowledge radically changed by Christ. Who better to teach the new followers of Jesus than this man. And so they begin to grow together in Christ's likeness. And Barnabas, Barnabas takes this huge risk, and he brings someone in that could have jeopardized the entire picture, but they recognize that person's past does not limit them to the potential that God has in their future. And we need to hear that. Some of you need to hear that your past does not limit your potential in your future. And that's why growing together in Christ's likeness, Christ is raising up his church. And there are many of us that are seated in the room, you're listening to me online, and you're holding yourself away from what God has because you think your past disqualifies you. And Barnabas refused to allow Saul to be disqualified. He goes, no, you're in the game. Get in the game and help me grow people. And so Saul gets involved and they begin to teach and they grow the church. And the beautiful part of it, you see this church respond and mature in incredible ways. And growth is part of what we do here. Growth is so important to us. In fact, let me share this with you. As you grow in spiritual maturity, you begin to follow what Jesus calls us to do, correct? So we know that we not only get in. One of the things that we do is we encourage people, get into your life journal reading, a daily Bible reading ritual or program. Why do we encourage that? Not so that you're checking off a spiritual activity box, but we know that if you're in God's Word you're being changed. God's Word changes us. And we begin to understand His Word, and we begin to understand how to live with a biblical worldview. Because here's what I know. I am so over-bombarded by a secular worldview that I need the input of God's Word to keep the balance and rhythm healthy in my life. Because if I'm not reading, I'm being swayed and I want to be resilient, and I want to be steadfast on what God has called me to do. And so that's why we're committed to helping people grow. And we go, you got to get into your life journal readings. You need to get into growth groups. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to help you do that. Here's something I need to encourage some of you to do. Some of you need to get baptized. You haven't been baptized in water, and you're, well, you know, I said yes to Jesus so long ago that it doesn't really matter 
It does. Because it's what Jesus said to do. He said, I want you to remember me. And we do that in communion. And he said, and then I want you to publicly confess that you're my follower. Be baptized in water. And you go, why is that so important? Because Jesus understood that the enemy of our soul will work overtime to convince us that we're not his kids, that we haven't been forgiven, that we don't know what grace is all about. And Jesus knew that if we could look to a moment in our time where there was a group of people, a community of people that could also authenticate our moment, that it would become powerful for us. Because when the enemy tries to persuade us that we're not Christ, we can go back to the moment of our water baptism and go, no, not only did I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart, but in front of a group of people, I was baptized in water and they saw me pronounce that the old person you knew has been buried in water and the new person coming up out of the water is now a follower of Christ and I live for Jesus. And so hear my heart today. You may be following Jesus and you may have made a decision 40 years ago, but if you've not been baptized... I think it's overdue. What do you think? And if you've just recently made a decision to be a follower of Jesus, it's time. So on September 16th, in a couple of weeks, we're going to do a water baptism. Sign up. Come and join us. You can see the information in the bulletin. More importantly, it's not what we do here as an event. It's your spiritual journey. You're growing into Christ-likeness. And as you grow, here's what I want you to know. God's given you something. He's given you a very incredible gift for you to use. And we'll help you discover that. And we do that through something that we call shape. In fact, there's somebody that's part of our church community, and I won't take her story. She's going to tell it. Watch the screen. I'm joined here by Kathy. And Kathy is someone who was tracking with us through some of our ministries this past year. She first started out in Alpha, and then in the next term, joined us in our shape course. Now, the thing with SHAPE is that we run it so that people can discover the way that God designed them to be and help them discover the ways that they can be using these God-given gifts and talents uh, to better the church community and their local community and maybe even doing things around the world. Kathy, why don't you just share briefly maybe one thing that you took away from the SHAPE course when you took it? Sure. I really enjoyed the SHAPE program. It really allowed me to... um, take a look at all the spiritual gifts there are and what I thought I was really good at were not actually my spiritual gifts. And once I was able to identify what those were, as of September, I will be now volunteering in programs in the church that are utilizing my spiritual gifts and I'm really excited about it. That's awesome. That's great. I love Kathy's story because she talks about not only discovering her shape, but she said something powerful there. I thought I knew what my gifts were And then I went through shape and I realized I didn't know what my spiritual gifts were. And now I'm looking forward to using them. I need to tell all of you this. This may come as a surprise for some of you. But the Bible says that when we become followers of Jesus, you know that you've been given a gift, right? Ah, That's a little weak. Interactive church. You know you've been given a gift. The Bible's very clear. It says that the Holy Spirit gives us gifts. Why does he give us those gifts? So Christ can build his church. And he's impartial. He gives to everybody. We don't have the same gift. We're all unique. Our personalities, our experiences, our background, our temper, all different. You've been given a gift. The one most common experience I have in pastoring is when I ask people, tell me about your spiritual gift. Do you know the moment when you see a deer caught in the headlights of a car? And they go into that whole glaze like, ah, 
serving kids, maybe ushering. Well, that's not in the spiritual gift list, according to the Bible, but we appreciate the help. Most people know they've been given a gift by teaching. In other words, they're aware of it. They've heard that. But when asked, they couldn't tell me or describe what their spiritual gifts are. And yet, there's opportunity to know. So as a church community, I go, the most important thing for me is I want you to know your spiritual gifts so that you can serve in the area of your giftedness. And not just serve portico. That's not what I'm talking about. Serve Christ's mission in the area of your giftedness, that you can take your skill set. So we help you figure that out, and we walk that through with you, and, and there's opportunity. You see that this fall, and we want you to be a part of that journey. The only way I can, I can sort of explain it this way, and it baffles my mind a little bit, how many of you have ever got a Christmas gift? Hands up. This is not a hard question. There you go. Is there anybody in the room when you were given a Christmas gift and you were handed a Christmas gift? Barry, did you ever get a Christmas gift and you said, thank you very much, and you held it, and then you put it back under the tree, and you said, I'm going to leave it there until next year? You ever do that? Has anybody ever done that? So, (laughs) you left it for next year? You've got to invite me over to your house because I want to open your presents for you. That's a first. That's never happened before. Please see me. Come and see me in the Atrium Cafe. I want to know the rest of the story. We don't have time this morning. But that was just a yes. I love that. Okay. Most people won't take a gift and put it back underneath the tree and say, I'm going to open that next year. And then take the gift back out next year and go, boy, I got a gift last year. That's really nice. I'm going to put that back under again for next year. You didn't do that, did you? No, okay. And then get it out the third year and pull it out and go, and repeatedly do that. And some of you have been following Jesus for 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35 years. And you pull it, yeah, I got this gift. I'm going to put it back under the tree and never unwrap it, never understand it, never use it. What an unfortunate life to live, to have been given gifts when God says, I can help you understand and use those gifts. And what we do is we put them back underneath and we go, thanks for giving me a gift, Lord. Do you know what it is? No. But I I thank you for giving me a gift. We would never do that. A gift is meant to be opened, experienced, and used, and it's free. And we all have gifts to use, and so use your gifts. All right, quickly. Number three, what is it about this church in Antioch? Not only did they understand what it was to connect with Christ and his family, grow together in Christ's likeness, but they knew about serving Christ's mission in the world. They knew that everything in them was called to serve, not to just be a taker, but to be a giver to find their gifts and give back into the world. And you see this, whether it's in Acts chapter 11, you see it when a famine came into the land, they gave through generosity. And then as the church continued to grow, Acts chapter 13, the Bible says that they recognized that Paul and Barnabas, man, they were just leading with such excellence, but now they had all these other teachers that had been raised up in the church. And the Holy Spirit whispered to that church and said, hey, I want to take your two senior pastors right now. And I want to send them out on mission. You guys good with this? And they said, and we prayed about it, and it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, and we thought, well, if it's good to the Holy Spirit, it's good to us. And so they laid hands on them, and they set them apart, and they said, okay, you guys go. And they began to travel off in missions, and one, two, three missionary journeys, and they come back and report, and churches now are exploding all over Asia, and then moving out into Europe, because the church believed in serving God's mission in the world. That's what they did, and we believe in that. But I also recognize, for a lot of people, they go... I would love to serve God. 
I just don't know what that looks like in my world. Well, this year at the Global Leadership Summit, we had a little moment where a video was presented, and it was a powerful video, where a judge was teaching his daughters, and the question came back to him, what are you doing? Watch the video. I don't, I don't think there could be a greater joy than to know what your purpose is in a given moment and just see God use you in unprecedented ways. We're not all going to lead like that. We're not all called to that, but we're all called. We're all gifted, and we can all serve. And some will serve in their homes, and some will serve in schools, and some are going to serve in businesses, and some are going to serve in management. We serve in all different kinds of ways, but here's, here's my challenge to us, that particle, we would be his church. We wouldn't do church. We would be his church. And when we go out this week and we continue to lead out, whether we're launching campuses, whether we're getting into our growth groups, whether we're serving out in the community, no matter what we're doing, we will never lose sight that this is what we're called to do. Jesus said, I'll build my church, and when I do it, they will go out and make disciples of all nations. And you're called into that, I'm called into that, and we get to do that together. How cool is that? So as we talk about our future and we celebrate what we're doing in Brampton, I also want to remind you that as a church community, we believe in you, and we're here to invest in you. So we want to help you be the follower of Jesus that he's called you to be, because collectively, we are a mission-driven church, and we'll never deviate from that. Amen? Let's pray. Father, this morning, thank you for the gift that you have given to us of your spirit, the passionate vision that you have imparted into the church. Now, may we be bold and courageous as we lead into our world. And I pray that no one, no one listening to my voice would step out of the ring and just say, well, that doesn't apply to me. I pray that we had all realized that, God, you've given us so much, and the opportunity to transform lives is within our hands because, Jesus, your power goes before us, your presence is already there, and there's a world that's just aching to know that there is still good news to hear today. So help us as we help others find their way back to God. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.